are finishing up the Apostles' Creed series. So you got a souvenir this morning under your chair. We kind of printed these up so you can take them with you. So you can kind of put that on your fridge. It's a tool, whether it be sharing your faith, discipling your kids. Maybe you just need a really fat bookmark. I don't know. You do with it what you want, but take it home. In some ways, maybe it's just commemorating what God has done in your life, how he's spoken to you. So take that with you. But if you notice, and if you're following along, Pastor Rick took us all the way up to the amen last week, and there's no back of this. So we have a bonus episode. This sermon's like the end of a Marvel movie. You know, if you wait till the end of the credits, there's that bonus scene at the end. That's what this is. Because we've been walking through the Apostles' Creed, but we're also just teaching doctrine. So these are the core, closed-fisted, to be a Christian, you must believe this. We're also going through our doctrine as a church, and we kind of get into that. If you've seen the video, right, we get into angelology, demons and angels. So it's a bonus episode, but it is about demons and angels, so buckle up. So we're going to talk about angels and demons. And my hope is that we can move towards clarity, experience comfort, encourage. And I think that is so important that we get experience some clarity from this and hopefully we are comforted and experience courage. But this is necessary, especially when you get into angels and demons. There's a lot of movies, a lot of fascination about it. But as we talk about truth, this is where we get all of our clarity from. We want to look at what does God say about it? And that's going to be most of our time. Understanding clarity, what does God say about angels and demons? And we don't do that, right? So what we do to develop our view of the spiritual realm, we kind of have this big pot and we like, we you know, mix in some sentimentality that makes us feel good, like guardian angels. Isn't that nice? Think of guardian angels. I have a little angel on my shoulder playing a harp right now, so I want to believe that. And then we mix in maybe some culture, tradition, maybe some movies. You know what I believe is every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. I believe that. You know, and I believe they're great in the outfield. You knew the Danny Glover reference was coming, right? Angels in the outfield, it's a classic. Right, and that's what, we, that's what we do. We take all of this, what culture says, and that's what we believe. But what does scripture actually say? So let's look at that. And I'm going to kind of walk through these kind of four key points as we begin to unpack clarity of scripture of angels and demons to understand they are created, powerful, personal spiritual beings. Let's just walk through those together as we look through Scripture. They are created beings. They have not always existed. And look at Colossians 1.16 together. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. See, visible and invisible, the spiritual realm, just because it's invisible doesn't make it fictional. They are invisible yet actual beings. And part of getting clarity is we got to like clear up so much of the myths. Like God created angels. So one of the false kind of perceptions out there is like somehow when we die, we become angels, right? When we died, we graduate to angels. I mean, we say that sometimes in our language when somebody died, you know, like, oh, God took one of his angels home. No, he didn't. That's not how it works, right? They're different created beings. God created humans. God created angels. 
Again, they haven't always existed in the spiritual realm. Nothing existed in eternity past but God alone. So they're created beings. We've got to, got to place them in the created order. So they are created beings, but they are powerful. And maybe that's some of the fascination in our culture with it. You know, these powerful beings out there. But that is scripturally true. Angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. So they are beings of a different kind, right? You have animals, humans, but also you kind of see where they're at in the created order. You know, I'll explain it in a way that Pastor Rick can get it, right? You have cats, dogs, humans, and angels, right? So, of course, right, like, in some ways it's crazy, we have higher privilege than angels, and you kind of see that. But as far as on the scale of the created order of power, they are, in black and white, you know, greater in might and power than us. But as you think of a spiritual being, they're created powerful, but they are personal. So don't think, again, we get in the spiritual realm, we just start thinking of energy in the force. They are beings that have an identity. Some of them, there's actually only two named angels in the Bible, but even the fact that they have a name tells you they have an identity. They have will, volition. You have Michael and Gabriel. So they are personal beings, not just kind of a force of evil. And so when you think personal, think personhood. Not just personal as in, oh, they have a body, But they have personhood, but keep in mind, they are spiritual beings. So when it talks about that, when Scripture refers to them, look at Hebrews 1.14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Just spilled that dang. Spiritual warfare right there. (laughs) They are spirits. And so we start to get into some of the myth, right? So when the Bible talks about spirit, it says they do not have flesh and blood. So there is another realm, if you will, outside of the physical, right? So we don't become angels, but even kind of one of the things that we get, we, we love to picture kind of these big winged creatures. I remember Googling kind of an image for angels and it took about 100 images before I got to something without wings. It probably isn't what you think it is, but this old TV show, <laughs> Angel, and you even got the wings in the name, right? You want to know the irony? That might be more accurate. So scripturally, do angels have wings? There are pictures kind of in the throne room where angels are these big winged creatures. But remember, don't think flesh and blood. Think spiritual And the spiritual realm can impact our physical realm, and so they can take on flesh. And oftentimes in Scripture, it's just in the form of a man. Look at this kind of really fun passage, and it's encouraging to think about, though. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. You know that... You ever think about the fact that maybe you have interacted with an angel. God has sent you an angel, and you didn't know it. Some of that's how we get. They probably didn't have wings. 
Like, you came across somebody, and they got, like, full-on X-Man wings. I'd be like, wait a minute. Are you an angel? Because you don't just got a tattoo of wings. Like, you got wings out your back. I bet you an angel. Right? So this myth that as God moves in this world, now, they do sometimes project kind of glory and majesty, but essentially we got to get away from some of just kind of the traditional myths of that. And one of the big ones that we kind of got to get after, there's two myths I want to close with, and one of those is the guardian angel thing, right? That's big. And again, it feels nice. And I could show you a passage about guardian angels. The problem is, There isn't a passage about guardian angels. Now, can God send somebody a guardian angel? Sure. I mean, I'm not God in this situation. And there's a couple verses maybe that can look like that. But to put a whole theology and develop hope of guardian angels is a real stretch. And this one that hits home to me, and I'm sure some of your tradition, but being raised Catholic, we would pray to angels, right? If you lost something, you had an angel you can pray to for that. Again, I can show you a verse about that, but there isn't one. Never in Scripture are we told to pray to angels. If this was a big thing that God wanted, you'd think it would be in there. It isn't. And in fact, there's so much of the opposite. When angels go to be worshipped, yes, greater in power, but they are not to be worshipped. They are not to be prayed to. And I think if anybody could talk to angels, I would probably put Jesus in that category. But even Jesus, look how he interacts with angels. So this is at his arrest. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? For Jesus, how did it work? Does he call out to angels to help him? No. We appeal to God. And God, if so fit, can send us angels. And if you're wondering, we don't use the word legion much. A Roman legion was 6,000, kind of around there, and then 12 legions. So that's 72,000. So again, we don't know the number of angels, but that's what he's saying. Look, you appeal to God, and can God send angels? Yes, but we don't pray to angels. Here's the key points, right? They're created, powerful, personal, spiritual beings. Again, there's some other things that are hinted at, but when you start pushing past that, it starts to get a little sketchy. Now, is there a hierarchy of angels? Well, it does say Michael's the archangel. So there does seem to be some hierarchy. Are there different kinds of angels? Well, it talks about cherub and seraphim, and so very open that there can be multiple different kinds, but I don't want to develop a whole theology of that. It's not much more else we're given, but it does say they don't marry, which is an odd thing to tell us. So don't think like angels on like eHarmony, finding other angels, having little angel babies, moving out to angelic suburbs. Like, doesn't work that way. So it says they don't intermarry. They're non-sexual beings. They're created spiritual beings. So those are the key points of angels. Now, what are the key points of demons? Let's look at that together. Demons are created, powerful, personal, spiritual beings. Again, we're starting to even unpack some of the myths out there to understand. So we talk about a demon, are we talking about a different kind? No. 
In the spiritual realm, there are personal spiritual beings. Some are faithful to God in his service, and some have fallen. So when you think of a demon, what does Scripture say about demons? Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So they are angels. That's what a demon is. But again, we have so much just kind of a hokey view out there we get from culture. But that is clear, biblically speaking. So you have Jesus and his faithful angels, and then you have these fallen angels led by kind of the leader of the demonic band, which is kind of, this is how we unpack it in our doctrinal statement. So we believe that Satan is a fallen angel and the open and declared enemy of God and man. However, as a limited and created being, he is no match for God. Satan is still working in the world to destroy lives and prevent them from following Christ. And he and all his angels will eternally perish in the lake of fire. So again, to start to unpack, what does Scripture actually say from what do we just inherit from culture? One, it is clear. Again, they are created beings. And particularly when you're talking about the demonic, they were created as good. As we look at evil in this world, God did not create evil. He created humans and he created spiritual beings of angels and gave them free will. So God created the heavens and the earth, the visible and invisible, created them good. Now, when all did this, when did Satan fall? It's hard to know, but we know when he fell by. Right? You have Adam and Eve in the garden and Satan tempting. So before the fall of man, you have the fall of Satan and multiple fallen angels follow him and are the great adversary of God. So even when you look here, the names, those are his titles as much as names. You know, Satan is the adversary. Devil is the great accuser of man, the great opponent of God. But it is so clear. Be very clear in your mind. They are in God's creation. Satan is not on par with God. Satan is not God's equal. Satan is a created being, a spiritual being that is no match for God. So don't think of this yin and yang, that Satan is kind of the evil God and who is going to win. There is no question. Scripturally speaking, we see the destiny of Satan. It's just a matter of time. So he is... It's one myth. He is limited in power, even if it doesn't feel like that in your life. But one of the clear things we need to address, because one of the myths, right, so maybe you've heard something like this. In the old time, well, they didn't understand modern medicine, and so they just blamed everything on demons back then. Like, wow, if you look at it, what happened when Jesus said it was a demon, that's really epilepsy, and we know that, but, you know, those poor folks back then didn't understand that. That's a lie. So one of the myths is everything was blamed on a demon. Look at this passage. That is not true. Matthew 4. So his fame, Jesus' fame, spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, and those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. You see a clear distinction 
between some things are demonic, some things are just physical ailments, some things are physical ailments because of demonic influence. So one of the things we need to be careful of is just blaming everything on the demonic. I remember on a summer project, and a guy, he was going to get baptized. And I forget if he slept through his alarm or he forgot to set his alarm, but he almost missed his baptism. And he was like, man, Satan's working on me. And I was like, is he though? <laughs> like, I'm not up for defending the devil. Like, I'm not into that. But it almost just seems like you slept in, bro. Like, that seems mostly on you. But it feels nice to blame all of our weaknesses. Oh, the devil got me. The devil doing that. The devil did. You just set your alarm and get up. That's what needed to happen. But we want to make everything demonic. But the problem is there are such clear errors, right? So I want to experience greater clarity, comfort, and courage. So every good American pastor has three points and what? A C.S. Lewis quote. So we're going to get into that too. Here is kind of the great errors that I think C.S. Lewis puts so well. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can, f- can fall about the devil's. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. We all fall one way. Where do you fall? Are you fascinated by it or do you forget it altogether? Can we kind of abuse it and kind of dive too much into that? Or do we abandon it all together? Both are serious errors. And if you don't believe C.S. Lewis, believe Jesus. Look at this passage. This is Jesus, his beginning his ministry, being tempted by Satan. Look at these two scenes. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. This is Jesus and Satan going toe to toe. Like this is the great temptation that our planet has ever seen. What is one of the very few temptations we see biblically that Satan poses to Jesus? An abuse of angels. Having an unhealthy hope in angels. So we clearly see how Satan can use that to tempt us to have an abusive, unhealthy view of angels. But the same scene, a few verses down, what does it say? Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Right in the same scene, right? We see the abuse of angels and demons, and we see the beauty of it. And how do we kind of avoid both of those errors? Look. I mean, think about this phrase a lot, right? There's more than meets the eye. You kind of see that in movies when something else is going on. There's more to this than meets the eye. As you look in this world, as you live in this world, there is more to it than meets the eye. If you look at some of the pure evil in this world, don't you ever wonder, it seems like there is something else going on, or you feel like God just helped you in a moment, and you get the sense there is more to this world than meets the eye. And the the more we grow 
and even just scientific research, I think we know this, this universe God has created is bigger than we ever realize. Anybody know what this image is? That is the James Webb Telescope. That's what $10 billion gets you. Inflation's killer, right? Dang. $10 billion. It is kind of replacing the Hubble telescope. And it is launched out. And they just sent this. And kind of images are just coming back from space. We are seeing things that we never saw before of this universe that is bigger than we realize. Listen to what it says about the James Webb telescope. Unlike the Hubble Space Telescope, The James Webb does not see invisible light. It's not just visible light. The range of wavelengths to which our eyes are sensitive to is called visible light. The James Webb is an infrared telescope. See, we are seeing things for the first time. Did they exist before we saw them? Yes. Invisible to us doesn't mean fictional. There are actual invisible things. (laughs) Let me put it this way, right? So just 200 years we've discovered UV rays, you know, infrared rays. These are things, these are wavelengths, light energy beyond what we can see. Have they existed for more than 200 years? Yes, just because you can't see them. So this universe God has created is vast. They've always existed. What we can see of it is quite small. So to understand, look, there is more to this world than meets the eye. Just because you can't see it doesn't make it not real. So I want to get to the place where we, here's the hard part. Most of us believe in it. But do we really believe in it? Like if you believe there is a spiritual realm beyond this world, raise your hand. That's like most of us. But here's the problem. Do you really believe it and live in light of it? See, it still rocks in my high school when you want to find out if somebody was for real about something. You didn't just say for real. You said it twice and you changed the pronunciation. Like you want to know if they were for real, like for real, for real? You could even use this as a question and be like, for real, for real? And they'd be like, for real, for real? That's how we are with angels. Uh, Yeah, I I believe demons are real. No, but like, for real. Do you live in the universe that God has created? That there is a spiritual battle beyond what we can see and actually live like that's true, to really live in God's truth. And I think if we did, we would live different. If I really believed in the spiritual battle raging around me, would I spend so much time scrolling on my phone? I don't think I would. But so with that reality... I want us to experience the comfort of God, but also the courage of God, right? You got angels and demons, right? So what is it for us to really live in light of angels and experience that comfort? We read this verse already, but look at the purpose of angels. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who inherit salvation? That's us. God sends his angels to help us in this spiritual battle. So to really live in light that there is more to this universe that meets the eye, 
And much of it is for us. When we feel so hopeless and alone, do we live like this is true? I'm going to read one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. An opposing king is conquering and is about to oppress God's people. But God's people had a prophet that was tipping off the king of God's people about the war. Like, it was great. Like, if you're in a war, having a prophet is fantastic. Like, hey, they're going to hit a flaming arrow there. And he's like, dang, that was awesome, right? Like, shoot him over there. Battleship sunk. This is great. So they find out, the opposing king finds out that there's a prophet. And so the opposing king is going to go kill the prophet, him and his servant. So the scene picks up where the opposing king is surrounding Elisha the prophet and his servant. Let's look at this scene. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? See, the prophet's servant walks outside drinking his morning coffee, and there's an army. He's like, Like, wake up, Elijah. What do we do? We're going to die. I love what he says. Look at this scene. He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. It gives me chills. You feel like you're alone. You feel like this world, like you're oppressed. There is more to it than meets the eye. You might not be as alone as you think. I just love that picture. And again, we can be infatuated with it and get in weird places, but to really think God can protect you. Like when I pray to picture an angel standing at the door of my house protecting us as we sleep, that brings comfort to me. I love that picture. It should bring us peace. That's what it did for Jesus. Remember the verse we read about legions? This was Jesus about to be taken to the cross, and everybody's panicking. That's when they're literally just chopping people's ears off. They're just wigged out. Jesus says, calm down. He's at perfect peace. Why? Because having power is not an issue God is all-powerful. If he needs to, he can send angels to do his bidding. Now we know Jesus is still arrested. So what does that tell us? It's an issue of purpose, not of lack of power. Whatever you're going through, don't fret as if God can't help you and God can't rescue you. It is not an issue of power. If you're walking through pain... It's because God is going to allow it for a greater purpose and greater good. And Jesus, who perfectly knew that, was at peace. Why are we fretting? I love that picture of God. I mean, I think of angels as just like God's special forces. I mean, to picture that, like right when you felt most vulnerable, when you felt like Satan was about to take you out, it says he he prowls around like a lion. And God sends an angel to your rescue and says, back up. This one ain't yours. Keep moving. Keep going. Back up. I love that. 
Just picture Archangel Michael just choke slamming somebody. It fires me up. Like that is real. But do we really live like that's true? But there's comfort. But I also want us to experience courage in that. Right? Because there are fallen angels. Look at Ephesians 6, kind of the last biblical scene I'm going to take us to. This is spiritual warfare, right? Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Do you really live like you're in the middle of a raging spiritual battle? Are you just on the sidelines going, playing church? Or do you live like this is true? Priscilla Shire did a great study on the whole armor of God. And if we forget that we do not just do battle against flesh and blood, that there's a spiritual battle... She says it this way, we're going to point all the wrong weapons at the wrong culprit. Are we engaging with the army, with the tools that God has given us? Engage in that spiritual battle. I don't have time to kind of unpack the whole armor of God, but I do want to charge you to take courage That God is greater than the enemy, but we need to get into this spiritual battle. And here's where the Apostle Paul closes with the whole armor of God. He says, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. At the very least... Right? Like one of, he sums up kind of one of the great tools we have in this spiritual battle is prayer. Are you engaging in God's spiritual battle? Are we just scrolling the gram as the enemy attacks our families? Did you see what it said, right? The schemes of the enemy. Right? There's something different about being wronged by somebody and somebody scheming to destroy those you loved. What if I told you that somebody was scheming to destroy one of your kids on the way to, on the way to school? Would you do something about it? Of course you would. And I'm telling you, somebody is scheming to destroy you and those that you love. Are we going to do something about it? I mean, I particularly want to say this to all of us, but to husbands and dads, do you understand that? Like, the enemy has plans to destroy your kids. Like, as you're sending your little babies off to school and to college, there is an enemy, and are we engaging in the spiritual battle, or are we just kind of wishing them well, hoping it goes well? See, we can't see UV rays, right? They're invisible, but we know they exist. So what do we do? We protect ourselves. You wouldn't dare go to the pool without just bathing your kids with some sunscreen, right? And we can't see UV rays. You can ignore their existence and get burned. It's the same thing. 
with this world we live in. There is demonic forces in this world. We can just ignore it and get burnt. So why would we so diligently cover our loved ones in sunscreen without bathing them in prayer? Like I remember somebody charged me with that. And I'll charge you with that too. He said, I never want to leave the home without praying over my family and covering them in prayer. Like when you put your kids down tonight, will you pray over them, pray over your home? When you leave for work tomorrow, will we just send them out in the spiritual battle uncovered? Or will we, not in fear, it is not to bring about fear, but in preparation, be sober-minded and cover the ones that we love in prayer. Will you bow your heads with me? Father, it is, God, even for me as a pastor to remember with eyes of faith the spiritual realities that we can't see but are very real. God, would you help us to be people of faith, to trust what you have said in your word, to be comforted by it, to know that wherever we are, you can protect us sending angels if necessary, but you call us into the spiritual battle. Would we take courage and fight with the weapons you have given us and fight in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's begin by responding as we recite this creed together. If you will, say this aloud with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's sing.